Howdy. Good to see you this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If you are a guest, welcome to the Clear Creek Church family. We get together not just weekly, but throughout the week with each other. But this is kind of a special time because it's our family living room moment where we get to talk and enjoy some time together. We're so glad that you are with us today. And I've got to tell you, I'm very excited that you're here because we're beginning a brand new series answering a question that I have been asked more times than I can count over the past two years in particular. And that's this question on screen before you, which is, what happens when you die? By the way, how many of you have ever wondered, what happens when you die? Can I see some hands? How many of you don't care what happens when you die? How many of you think, eh, we'll find out? Well, over the next few weeks, by God's grace, our goal is to be able to look at what Scripture says. And although we cannot answer every question because Scripture does not give every answer, I believe Scripture gives us some beautiful answers both to comfort and to warn and give us direction for how we live today in light of eternity. Now, the reality is this question, what happens when you die, is an awkward question and often leads to nervousness on the part of the ones asking or talking about it. This is why, if you've ever thought about this, this is why we make so many jokes about the afterlife. Have you thought about it? You know, I've shared this one before. Let's do it again, though. There's a woman. She dies. She goes to heaven. And who would she meet at the pearly gates but St. Peter? Now, by the way, just just real quick side note. This is what you call a preacher's story. Don't take any theology from what I'm about to say, okay? Can we just do this? All right, good, good, okay. So she shows up at the pearly gates. There's St. Peter. She goes, I'm so glad to be here. He says, we're glad to see you. She says, what do I do to get in? And he says, very simple, just spell one word correctly. And she goes, okay, what is it? He said, it's the word love, because all you need is, right? So she goes, okay, L-O-V-E. He goes, you got it. She came on in. Things are great. Well, some time passes. St. Peter catches her one day and says, could you watch the gate for me for a few hours? I have something I need to take care of. She says, sure. So as she is standing there, who should show up but her husband, who she'd been married to for over 40 years. She says, it's so good to see you. How have you been? He says, well, actually, I've been amazing. (laughs) You remember that beautiful young nurse who took care of you while you were dying? Well, we hit it off in the, anyway, and we got married. And you remember that little house we lived in forever? Well, I won the lottery, so I sold that little house and I bought a big old mansion for me and my beautiful new wife to live in. And we finally went on that beautiful vacation you and I always dreamed of, skiing in the Swiss Alps. We were having a great time until I hit that tree and wound up here. So it's good to see you. It's good to see you too. She replied. He said, what do I do to get in? She said, oh, it's very simple. You just have to spell one word correctly. He goes, great. What's the word? She thought for a moment and said, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) We make jokes, don't we? I think about Eugene Peterson, the author of the paraphrased Bible, The Message. Years ago, he was at a monastery and he was visiting with some monks They were going to lunch with some of the monks, and as they do, they pass by the monastery's graveyard, and he looks and he sees one of the graves open. There's nothing in it. It's just dug out, and he he looks and he says, I'm so sorry, who who died? 
And the monks said, well, no one's died. That's for the next one who does die. Can you imagine three times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, walking by the symbol of what would happen, that the next one would die? The reality is most of us spend most of our waking hours trying to ignore what will happen and the reality that one of us will be the next one. This is why I think so many of us avoid the conversation altogether. I think about what Woody Allen, the the actor and comedian, once said. He said that he didn't mind the thought of dying. He just didn't want to be there when it happened. But we're going to be there. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to take adult, thoughtful time to consider the reality that faces every man, woman, and child who has lived, who is living, or who will live one day. Because eternity matters. And we're going to talk about it. So here's a snapshot for the next few weeks. Today we're going to talk about what are our options. In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps for about five minutes. Then you can take them off and we'll talk about some other things. But we're going to talk about what happens. What are the options? Next week, we'll talk about the reality of hell. Week after that, on Mother's Day, we'll talk about heaven because mothers are heavenly, right? Ah, yeah, okay. And then the fourth week, we will do a Q&A. So, for instance, if you have a question about anything we've talked about or perhaps something we have not addressed, write it down or email it to office at clearcreekcoc.org, and I will try my best to go through as many questions as possible. I've already received some this morning from the first lesson. In fact, one of the questions was, what about cremation? Well, we'll talk about that in the Q&A Sunday. So I invite you to submit your questions, and we'll try to get through as many as possible. Okay, now... I need you to put on your thinking hats because we're going to dive quickly into some content that I need. It's kind of dry, but if you'll stay with me, it'll give context for everything else. Can you you stay with me? Just shake your head yes if you can stay with me, okay? It's very simple, but I want to walk you through briefly the six options of what happens when you die. If you survey all world religions, all philosophies and thought, they boil down into basically six different possibilities. So the first one on this far left side would be the naturalist or naturalism. These are our atheist friends who say there is no God. So when you die, nothing happens. You simply cease to exist. You are nothing more than matter. You are nothing more than chemical reactions. And so when your brain stops, when the synapses stop firing, your body ceases, it decomposes, your matter changes into something else, but you effectively cease to exist. This is one option. I'll tell you, this is a depressing option, but it is an option. If we continue along the spectrum, the next one would be reincarnation. Show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of reincarnation? Okay. Reincarnation is the idea that life and death are cycles, that you live, you die, you live, you die, and your goal is to come back as something better than what you are today. But we don't know what we'll come back as. We may come back as another human or some sort of animal or some sort of object. And the thing that determines what you come back as is how good you lived your life. This is called karma. We are all paying off our karmic debt, those who believe this. Uh, People in Hindu and Buddhism, certain strains believe in this. And the idea is, if you do enough good things, then eventually you'll pay off all the bad karma, and you will enter into a state of enlightenment or nirvana. This is sort of the religious version of Groundhog's Day, because it just keeps going over and over again. Does that make sense? Then after this one, we get into what is called universalism. Universalism says all paths lead to God or the force or the source. 
we all come back to the one, the all mind or the singularity is this view. And this is the most popular view I have found in our culture. This is the one that says if you simply have a sincere good heart, you'll end up at a good place. And we'll all end up there. We don't know where that place is or what it is, but all paths lead to God. So that's one view. Now, the next three go into various views that some people who would call themselves Christians hold. The next one is what we would call Christian universalism. This is the view that says that God, through his invincible love for us, will eventually rescue everyone, including people who are in hell. This is a view that was recently popularized about a decade ago by someone who no longer calls himself a Christian, Rob Bell. He wrote a book called Love Wins, which purports that this is what happens. The next one along the scale is what we call purgatory. How many of you have heard of purgatory? Purgatory is a Catholic teaching, although they have walked it back and do not hold to this anymore. But purgatory is the idea that, yes, there's heaven, there's hell. Yes, there's good, there's evil. Yes, you trust Jesus and you can go to heaven. But before you can go to heaven, you have to be cleaned up. Almost like when your kids get outside in the mud and you hose them off and scrub them down before they can come inside. That's purgatory. The sins that remain on you get burnt off before you can come into heaven. By the way, there's nothing in Scripture that teaches this. But then, the sixth and final one is the one that we will deal with at length. And that's the belief that there are two options when you die. There is a heaven, there is a hell. They are real places that everyone who has ever lived or will live will end up in one or the other. And the way to think of it is that heaven is the with God kind of life. Where you're with God, you love God, His will is done, His perfect purposes are always done. That's heaven. And hell is the without God kind of life where His will is not done, where His desires are not done. This is what C.S. Lewis calls, he says, at the end of this world there are only two kinds of people. There are the people who say to God, Thy will be done heaven, and there are those to whom God says, thy will be done. That's hell. Heaven and hell are real places that we will exist. Now, when it comes to hell, there are two options there as well. There are two dominant ones, I should say. The first one is what we would call hell is eternal torment. This is the idea that you would live there for eternity in constant pain forever. The other one is what some Christians, and by the way, many godly people from Scripture come to this other view as well, which is called annihilationism. Everyone say, annihilationism. They're like, that's the word you chose for us to repeat? Thanks, Josh. Annihilationism simply says that over time, your soul, your being, your essence will eventually be burned up and you will cease to exist. You say, well, then how can you be eternally tormented? How can this go on forever? Well, you are eternally separated from God in the dissolution of your essence. Do you see how that one works? And we may talk about these in the weeks to come, but here's what I want you to see. There are a variety of views about what happens to you when you die and what you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. If there is no life after this one, I will live very differently than if what I do today echoes through eternity. So we're going to talk about the three big questions this morning. Number one, we're going to ask the question, well, what is it about life? What is this life like? What's going on right now? Then we're going to answer the question, what happens when you die? And then finally, thing, third, what happens when Jesus comes back? 
So what about life? What about death? What about Jesus' return? So let's talk about this very first one here. Now, let me say a word of caution before we jump into this. What we are about to do is dive into an area of incredible mystery. The Bible does not answer every question that we may have, correct? Have you ever wished that there was a Q&A section in the Bible? You just kind of go, yep, that's the question, there's the answer, fantastic. It doesn't do that. So we must come humbly before the text. I will tell you in the areas that I am not sure where I'm giving you my opinion, I'll say this is completely Josh's opinion because we want to be honest about what the Scripture says and be humble as we approach it. But one thing that I've often found myself saying as a minister, I'm, I'm constantly at funerals and I'll see uh, you know, whether I'm doing it or someone else, and there's this phrase that constantly comes to mind at a funeral or a graveside, and here it is. Now they know. Now they know. And it's incredible to me to believe and ironic to think that the smartest man and woman to ever live, what they cannot know five seconds before death, the dumbest people who have ever lived know certainly only five seconds after death. Now they know. But there are some things we can know in this moment as well. And so let's begin how God created it all. What happens while you live? Fortunately, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, God gives us a very simple answer to describe what your life is like and how it is intended to be lived. Genesis 2, 7 says this, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, I love this passage for a number of reasons. The first, you notice, who is it who forms all of us? The Lord God. Friend, you may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were not an accident from God. He made you. And not only did he make you, but he made you in two parts. He made you from dust. That's the physicality. He also made you with breath. Now, that word breath, we've talked about this before. That is a Hebrew word. It is the word pneuma. So we're going to redeem annihilationism with pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Pneuma simply means it can be translated breath, wind, or spirit. In other words, the Lord did not breathe just a breath into humanity. He breathed spirit into humanity. Humanity, You and I, you need to know this. Next slide. We are a combination of body and soul. Sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, I have a body or I have a soul. Friend, you do not have a body or a soul. You are a body and you are a soul. You have something that is sacredly made. This body you have is sacred because it was given to you and handmade by God. Your soul is sacred because it was handmade and given to you by God. This is what C.S. Lewis talks about when he talks about how we will live forever. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Meaning, all those things will only exist for a short period of time compared to you and me. He goes on to say, but it is immortal's whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every person in this room is invaluable because you are made in the image of God with a body and a soul. So we honor the physically and mentally disabled. Amen, church? Because they are given immortal souls made for eternity by a good God. This is why we protect the unborn church. Amen? Because they are 
infinitely valuable. They are all little souls that will live forever and ever with our God. You are valuable. This is how you were intended to live. But isn't it true? Something's gone horribly wrong in creation, hasn't it? Because the body and soul doesn't stay together. Instead, we experience the enemy called death who has stepped in and wrecked things. And you say, how did death come into the world? Well, Genesis 3 tells us the answer. You and I chose to separate ourselves from life himself. In John 14, Jesus is called the way, the truth, and what? The life. If you walk away from the source of life, how can you expect to have life? And because of this, death entered into the story. And what was intended to be forever, body and soul, is now broken. Here's the way to understand death. Death is the separation of all things, body and soul, relationships, people. It's a separation. And Solomon, the greatest, wisest man to ever live, I should say, said this is what happens when we die. This is Ecclesiastes 12. He says, the dust, speaking of our bodies returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So in death, your body and soul are separated. Your body goes to the grave, but your soul goes to be with God in heaven. This is not how it was intended to be, though, the separation. Now, a common question that comes up when we talk about this is the question, will we be with God immediately, or will we be asleep and then woken up at a final time with all of those who have died? This is a really great question. Some people call this sleep, soul sleep. Have you ever heard this? That some people say you'll die, but then your body and your soul will sleep and then you'll wake up. It's, it's like this. Have you ever had a really good night's sleep? Anyone? How many of you really would like to have a really good night's sleep? Yeah. Where you lay down and the alarm goes off and you're like, whoa, time just flew by. Now, maybe you're like us, and it's not the alarm that wakes you up in the morning. It's these little kids. How many of you have a child? They don't even have to touch you. They just appear before your face, and you know it. Yeah? Yeah, well, that'll, that'll wake you up. But that's what some people believe. They think that soul sleep is where you die. Your body sleeps, and, and then, like, no time has passed. God will appear, but you've really been asleep. So the question is, what does the Bible teach? Here's what the Bible seems to teach from Jesus ourselves. It comes from a passage we looked at a few weeks ago. You remember it? Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross hanging between two criminals. One of them asks Jesus this question, and Jesus gives the response. The criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I'm about to die. Remember me. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not bending anything out of order. But truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me where? In paradise. What Jesus is saying, friend, is that at the moment you close your eyes and the enemy of death begins his approach, the good God of the universe, your hero and Savior Jesus, stands between death and you and says, not today. And he looks to you and says, do you want to come on home? This is the picture we get from Scripture. Jesus tells another story of two men, a rich man and Lazarus, this poor man. And when they die, they both go to their rewards. And Lazarus, because he was righteous, ends up in a place called paradise with Abraham, the father of the faithful. He is alive. He is conscious. 
He is at peace. Friend, you need to know that everyone you have loved who has already died, whether it is your spouse that you miss so terribly or your parent or your friend or that little child who died much too soon, you need to know that they are with the Lord. They are conscious. They are in peace and with no pain. This is what the Scriptures teach. So then the question is, what happens when Jesus returns? Because although our bodies right now are separated, life and death, even though in death our souls and our bodies are separated, this is not how the story ends. Is that good news to anyone this morning? That what is going on now is not how it will end. The good news is that your soul and your body will be reunited when Jesus returns. This is what Romans chapter 8 teaches us. Paul the Apostle, talking to the Christians in Rome, he says, your body... My body, it groans is the word he uses. We're groaning inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption or our adoption to sonship. And then he says this, it's the redemption of our bodies. In other words, he's saying our very souls, our very bodies are longing for this husk to be redeemed. What does the word redeem means? It means bought back, means fixed up, made perfect. We are longing for the day when our bodies are all better. Can I get anyone with creaks in their backs, their knees, their hips, their toes? An oh yeah. I tell you what, how many of us wake up or are woken up because of that pain in our back or our knees or our hips? You need to know that arthritis will not win in the end. Cancer does not win in the end. Old age, senility, dementia, those forgotten conversations with your family and your friends, it does not win in the end. We are hungry and waiting for the moment when our bodies are restored and what has been taken from us, God gives back to us. Death does not get the final word. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 5. You remember the words when he says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. We all will come out, our bodies and our souls, reunited forever. Your glorified body. Oh, I love that word glorified. It means the body you have today is not the body you get for eternity. Is that good news? It is for me. I've already told the Lord, God, I want a six foot two body, I want a great tan. Six-pack abs. It's going to be great. And for my wife to look at me and go, Oh, baby, baby. That's what I'm looking forward to. Now, I don't know if that's how that works. But I do know that the taint of sin, the brokenness of this world, will not touch your eternal body. You say, body, why do I need a body if I'm just going to be floating around in this weird space called heaven forever? It's because, friend, you will not be floating around in a weird place called heaven forever. You need to know heaven is not some ethereal space where you can't touch people. You will not be the spiritual versions of Casper the Ghost. In fact, we will talk about this later. You will recognize one another and be recognized by one another. We're told this beautiful picture in the book of Revelation that heaven is not some place out there that is weird where there is no connectivity or physicality, but God creates a physical place for physical beings where we are reunited. How did the story begin? God made man and woman, and did he put them in a floaty place with a bunch of clouds, church? The answer is no. Did he put them in a floaty place with a bunch of clouds? 
No, He put them in a garden called Eden. And do you remember what the word Eden means? Delight. It was beautiful, full for all of our senses. And at the end of the story, God fixes what's broken. Revelation 21. Let's go there again. We'll be there this fall. I'm so excited. But let me give you a snapshot. In Revelation 21, John, the revelator, the apostle, sees this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away. Now this word passed away, we sometimes think, oh, it's been destroyed, it is no more. And that is one way that this idea can be used, but that's not the way it's being used here. You say, what do you mean? Let me ask you a question. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Noah built the ark? Do you remember the ark? Animals two by two, anyone flannel graph Sunday as a child, yes? Now, the earth, God said, he would destroy it by water, correct? Where are we at right now, church? Are we on the earth? Did God also destroy the earth? Yes. See, destruction or passing away does not necessarily mean it is gone. It means that it is fixed. It is cleansed. It is restored. So he creates a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The sea in Hebrew thought is the place where all evil, all death, all wickedness comes from. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel the prophet stands in one of his visions. He stands before a great body of water. And while he stands on the seashore, four wicked beasts come out of the water. So to the Hebrew mind, the sea is where all that is bad, all that is wrong, all of the chaos of the world belongs. In fact, Genesis 1-1, God comes over the earth and it is covered in water. It is a giant place of chaos. But in Revelation, we're told there will be no sea. Not that there will be no water, but that the place of evil, the symbol of death and destruction, will be no more. And I saw the holy city, he says, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We will be reunited with our bodies for a place made by God to be with one another and with God forever. And the whole church said, amen. You know, my friends in the entertainment industry, those who act in plays or TV shows, They'll say that the most important thing that an actor can do is practice. You practice, you rehearse your lines, you practice, you rehearse your blocking, you practice, you rehearse your hand motions, your movements, you practice these things. And all of that practice is to lead up to opening night. All of it is in service to what is to come. And if you have practiced to be a villain in rehearsal, then you will be a villain come opening night. If you practice to be the hero, then you will be a hero come opening night. In fact, sometimes great actors, you will hear said of them, they were born for this role. She looks just like her character. He seems to ooze this kind of individual. Because they have practiced so well, they have already become who they will be come opening night. Rick Warren once said this phrase, Life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. You are practicing today who you will be forever. So, some of us are practicing to be those splendors that Lewis talks about. 
Others of us are practicing by our lives to be eternal terrors. And the truth of Scripture is that heaven and hell are real places, but they are not just places out there. They are places we bring here by the way that we practice how to live today. How are you practicing for eternity, friend? Now, this is the moment in every message, but I need you to listen for a moment. This is not mere theory, but there is coming a day, you don't know when, I don't know when, when you will close your eyes for the last time and the next face you see will be God Almighty. And my question is, are you rehearsing for that moment? Are you preparing for that day? Are you ready to see Jesus? And are you becoming the kind of person who is ready for heaven or are you not? And the beautiful gift of Jesus is for today. You cannot... Do not, will not know if you have it tomorrow, but for today, you have the choice who you will become. And the way that we change from who we were to who we will become begins with saying to Jesus, I can't do it myself. But saying, I know you can. It's putting Jesus on in baptism, joining him, and what a picture it is to be lowered into the water, into your very own watery grave to be raised to new life. And the water has no magical powers, but the one who died on the cross has all the power to raise you to life, doesn't he? And we meet him in that moment. Father, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we come to you. And we thank you that you hear us when we pray. I pray for my friends in this room that you will help us today begin practicing who we will be for eternity. May we be men and women who desire Jesus more than anything else. And may we today begin to bring heaven to earth in the way that we live. And may we see you at work in our lives, our church, and all around. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all those who agreed said, Amen.